It's a jackalope carnival. Jack, jack, jackalope. Jackalope carnival. Hi, I'm Becca. Hi, I'm Eric. And you're listening to Jackalope Carnival, a sideshow of stories, a bi-weekly podcast where... You can get ley lines, ley lines, ley lines. Ever want to draw a straight line between all the important sites of your life? Your home, your work, school, sacrificial clearings in the woods, but didn't know how? Well, now you can with Ley Line Marker. Yes, with Ley Line Marker set for only $19.95, you too can draw straight lines between every important part of your life. You can connect your job, your home, your car, your ancient Celtic site of worship. Ley Lines, Ley Lines, Ley Lines. Oh my, what a deal. (laughs) So for those of you who are listening who may not have guessed, uh, this week's episode is about ley lines. We picked up a sponsor. (laughs) We did, yeah. I mean, you know, we got to pay the bills around here somehow. We did just go to the paid plan on our our podcasting host. Yep. Um, So Eric, why did you want to talk about ley lines this week? Because this was all you. It was all me. I I think that I felt like we were doing a lot of um, stuff that was kind of heavy. Well, Bigfoot is rather heavy. (laughs) Yeah, huge. He's just huge. Um, So anyway, no, this one seemed this one seems sort of fun to me. Um, I I find ley lines interesting, and if if nothing else, then just because I have often remarked and joked that Baltimore must be built on a Ley line? Well, or like a, a meeting of said ley lines, right? Like a, a vortex of ley lines, if you will. Just because my beloved city is, it's a little weird. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. So anyway, I just thought it'd be something interesting to talk about. And I indeed found a story, a heck of a story, as a matter of fact. I've, I've broken the story into three parts. And the first part will be about Alfred Watkins, who was a British man who lived in the 19th century through to the early part of the 20th century. Yeah. From there, we're going to go to Atlantis. As you do. Absolutely. And then um, from there, we're going to go to Druids. Oh, okay. Yep. So that's the journey today. I did not expect to be going all the places that we're going, but as I was kind of going through the research, that's where it went. I mean, especially with travel restrictions being what they are, but I mean... (laughs) Uh, just how it is. I haven't been I haven't been to Atlantis in a while. Things have really changed since the last time. Uh, yeah. Well, everyone knows Atlanteans are immune. So we've we've discussed this, and we have some difference of opinion on our friend Alfred Watkins. Um, so we'll probably have to get into that. But do tell. So tell us the first part of your story. Who is this Alfred Watkins that we we're disagreeing about? Well, our, Alfred Watkins was uh, the son of a wealthy businessman. He went into his family business. He, too, was uh, pretty successful at what he did. And back then, people didn't have television or the Internet. And so they had hobbies. And their hobbies were sometimes pretty darn interesting. He considered himself an amateur archaeologist. I don't think there are, that's not really a thing anymore, really. Or Says you. <laughs> fair enough. I mean, if we're lucky, we'll get a torrent of comments from amateur archaeologists proving me wrong. And that's just fine. 
Yeah, no, I'm fine with that. <laughs> Me too. I would I would love to live in a world with a bunch of amateur archaeologists. I think it'd be great. And sort of, you know, he's a, a historian for his own purposes. He was a photographer too. He was. He had a couple. He was a beekeeper. He had a couple of things going on, right? I mean, I just feel like people from that era were probably a little more interesting than your average 21st century person. Or who knows? Who knows if that's literally true or not? I have no idea. This dude was interesting no matter what. One of the things he liked to do is walk around England and visit historic sites and dig in people's yards. But he noticed something quite quite interesting when he was rambling around. And one of those things was, oh, and I might, I might should probably add this too. Uh, he also traveled not just for his hobby, but he traveled for business as well. So he went around uh, his area of England. He was from um, Hereford, England. Herefordshire. For sure. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is west of London, apparently close to Wales. And yeah. uh, and he he went he noticed that some of these old archaeological sites seemed to fall into a straight line. That when you looked at them on a map, there seemed to be a straight line that connected these important historical and archaeological places. And so he started coming up with an idea, right? What if the sites are still here, but once upon a time, people had a system of roads that connected all of the sites? And he called these ancient roads that have now disappeared, he called them ley lines. And he put forward his theory in the old straight track, which he published in 1925. And the average archaeologist, uh, average historian, didn't really pay his theory much mind. Now, one of my favorite things. Well, sorry. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but he didn't like that word theory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, say more. So I read um, a good chunk of the old straight track because I find that interesting. I, I really like to, I don't know, um, try to read the primary sources. So he was cracking me up and this is kind of a chunk, but I'm going to kind of quickly read it to you. And he says, knowledge is only to be gleaned from three types of evidence. First and chiefly from what exists or is recorded on or in the earth or the work or remains of man of that period. So, okay. Archaeological gotcha. Secondly, from what can be gleaned and surmised in place names and words. Okay. All right. I'm with you. This is where he got the name ley lines, by the way. Yeah. Several places had the word, the syllable lay in the, in the name. Yeah, a lot of them ended with lay, I believe. Yeah. Thirdly, from folklore legends, lingering fragments of fact disguised by an overlay of generations of imaginings. Logical deductions from the above three types of evidence have at least a sound basis. And although subject to human error, ought not to be dismissed by the mere facile use of the much overworked word theory. It is, however, necessary to base such deductions on a considerable and widespread number of examples. So he's a little defensive. So he's like, "Mm, (laughs) what's this theory you speak of? (laughs) Sounds like he had, sounds like he had had some pushback. Yeah. So you're like saying theory and he's like, no, I have many examples. It is, it is what it is. It is what it is. It is the and yeah, we'll get to the earth speaking in a second. I I found his writing style to be very much, it felt more 19th century to me than 20th century. 
Well, I mean, I think he spent the majority of his um, adulthood in the 19, well, not the majority because he died in 1935, but he, you know, he spent a big chunk. People are going to read, you know, they're going to hear this one. They're going to be like, "Mm, that was pretty 20th century, not so much 21st (laughs) century. (laughs) Right. He's not, this ain't Fitzgerald. You know what I mean? Like uh, he's not, he's certainly not writing like Hemingway. Uh, some of those sentences go on for a while. Guy, we're like criticizing his theory. Now you're criticizing his writing. Man, I'm just, I know, I'm, I, hey, rough audience. Favorite, yeah, I know, right? My favorite author, you know, growing up was Herman Hesse, who was famous for having two page long sentences. So there's that. Um, so I don't mind. I'm just pointing it out that he, it, it felt like an older book than the year it was published, which was 1925. But he, he had friends though. He didn't, he doesn't need me. He had a fan club, actually. Almost, he did. Almost the year that Old Straight Track was published, he had a p- group of folks who just read his book and loved it. And they put together a fan club, basically, called the Straight Track Postal Club, mm-hmm. which I think yeah. might be our band name for the week. Band name for the week, Straight Track Postal Club. Yeah. Um, no, actually, it's a brilliant band name. But no, he and he and he had been writing since I think the Ley Lines idea was 1921. So he'd put out a pamphlet before this. So he has this book. He has this group of people that are following around. Um, and hence, is not at all defensive. He is not at all defensive. Um, and it also plays into the times, right? Because he's kind of in inter interwar Britain. Um, this is a time when people started, it really hit in the thirties, but there was this idea of getting fresh air of going out. There was more people started walking and there was a hiking craze in Britain at the time. And so this sort of played right in. Right. The same time that back on our side of the pond, we have Theodore Roosevelt, you know, stretching his legs and wrestling boldness and things like that yeah 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 they're wrestling ley lines they're wrestling the ley lines so the straight track coastal club comes to an end in the 30s probably because war is brewing most likely but his ideas stick around for a while Mm -hmm. and i think it's important to say like they this wasn't just like i'm gonna talk to you about these connector lines he was like hey go forth find these connector lines so he got people out walking and he gave them something to do i like to think of it as the pokemon of its day so he's like (laughs) i see you know charmander line and people would go out and you know catch them all absolutely bulbasaur so people would go out and do this what was what is that app that people are using and they're like Pokemon Go? No, 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 no. Uh, you tried oh, it. Oh, Randonaut. Yeah. It, I also saw it. that too because they're going between these like sites that were, you know, an ancient well. Um, yeah, Randonauting. I had that on my phone. I tried it a couple of times and then I saw this YouTube video where this guy was saying he thought it was the dark connected to the dark web and uh that was good enough for me no um eric you were <laughs> you were really anti me going random nodding i if i do recall well there's a whole sub genre of internet lore about people who found creepy things while doing using this app i've never used it i don't honestly have an opinion i thought that the genre of internet lore was kind of interesting the way that it is I guess even if I didn't have the the kind of lore surrounding it, it's not the kind of thing that personally appeals to me. But I loved people, the idea. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. 
And uh, I randonauted and I saw um, this was around Halloween and uh, I got to see it took me to a great pumpkin Snoopy display (laughs) on someone's yard. And um, it took me to a high school in the woods that had some sort of little, I don't know, building some, I don't know what it was, but it was a little building in the woods near high school. So that was, I'm afraid I have like the most boring randonauting experiences. <laughs> well, you weren't, you didn't ask it to do anything, you know, crazy. Like I think that it happens when you, right. Cause you're supposed to like focus on something when you, you type in what you're typing and this. So again, so the internet lore goes, well, yeah, I, I've done it. So, <laughs> like, wait, you're you're explaining this, you're rando explaining. I've done it. <laughs> rando explaining. Oh. Rando explainer. We're, we're hoping that other people are listening. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just you and I talking on the phone like usual. <laughs> oh man. <Yeah. laughs> it's it's not rando explaining. It's explaining to the audience. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> do you want to explain that you're cracking me up <laughs> no i didn't think about anything particularly scary or weird so I, I do that enough here in our phone conversation that we let people listen to <laughs> <laughs> so back to the story oh boy so this takes us to part two and enter John Mitchell. Now I reserve the right to um, my jur- My personal jury is still out on John Mitchell. On one hand, he seems really interesting and he seems to have written a bunch of books that I would find interesting. On the other hand, he's connected to a couple of things that I'm a little. Um, yeah, we'll just, I'll, I'll do a little more reading and I'll let you know if I have a strong opinion on him. But he wrote a book on Atlantis Uh. and he picked up on Watkins idea of ley lines and took it completely someplace different or I guess to Atlantis. So I guess this was what we were disagreeing about earlier today, right? That um, I guess you were saying from your point of view, you think that Watkins may have. I I think um, he had some proto new age. Uh, leanings yes absolutely okay so the what i didn't i i may not have read as deeply into the book as you did but from what i read of the old straight road it seemed like he was just being florid in that 19th century writing style way but mostly he was putting forward pretty much a materialist argument that here's some sites and there used to be straight lines connecting them yeah it's kind of a simple theory sorry go ahead well, it is, but then he starts throwing out the Egyptians and he's throwing out Druids. I mean, Egyptians, and then he's throwing out Druids and then he's throwing out. Have you seen the chapter that's on the sighting staff? But people talked like that back then. No, I mean, he's literally like throwing out that he believes that there's these laymen who were the ley line men and they held these staffs. They were astronomer, priest, druid, wizard, witch. I mean, I'm reading from this right now. Wizard, witch, palmer, hermit, um, linked by one thread of ancient knowledge and power. So... I did read that because John Mitchell took that exact quote. uh, but But then he gives like a whole chapter on these staffs. And when I read it, yeah, I saw a lot of 
connecting things that maybe aren't connected. I'm going to gently say sometimes our friend Joseph Campbell, where he sort of takes things that aren't necessarily connected. Um, For all those of you who don't know, Joseph Campbell is a scholar on myth, and he's really interesting, and he did a lot for myth. But sometimes I feel that he is a little too general. I like Star Wars. Well, Star Wars is a whole different story, and we could do a whole different episode on Joseph Campbell and Star Wars. Um, but yeah, I think but. you know how how much I could talk about that. <laughs> but that could, be, that could be a season of Jack Loop Carnival, actually. That, uh, it would then def- most definitely turn into our own personal telephone call. So yeah, I mean, I think when he's starting to throw out, you know, pictures from. King Tut's tomb and connecting them to pilgrim staff and connecting them to pilgrims and connecting them to ancient. That's where I'm starting to see that he's getting a little proto new age. Now I'm not saying it isn't, but for me, the biggest evidence was that he would give these talks to his club, his fan club, as you called them. And he'd do them. And I showed you a picture. (laughs) He's at the Queenstone in Herefordshire and he's got two boys in loincloths in a not wicker, but basically a almost wicker cage, kind of like the wicker man. So while he wasn't necessarily doing these rituals, he was using... I hope not, because what he's reenacting is human sacrifice. Yeah, no, but he, he liked to bring up human sacrifice, and he liked to talk about these things and sort of have the... I don't know, LARPing, like he was pagan ritual LARPing um, <laughs> because it wasn't like he was doing it and in, 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 in acting them, but he liked to have that show. And that's why I'm like, mm, all of this evidence tells me he's walking a line. Okay. I see your point. I think that he's just trying to give like historic reenactments. He's just, he's like the guys who dress up, you know, in civil war, um, regalia and you know reenact battles in loincloths yep um <laughs> well they didn't use loincloths as much in the civil war yeah i i if it was just that picture but then also when you you know and i don't really have to prove this according to uh watkins <laughs> right. i don't really I, I see the evidence and it just is <laughs> Touché. well john mitchell agrees with you wholeheartedly i'll tell you that so in 1969 <laughs> Right, a few decades after um, the breakup of the fan club, John Mitchell is going to write or publish The View Over Atlantis. And he brings up not only Atlantis, but also, like you were saying, the Great Pyramid, sacred geometry, um, animal magnetism. There's an old one that. Wow. <laughs> Yes, that's my my one sound effect that I've contributed to all of Chuck. <laughs> well done. Um, well, as far as you know, um, and then his he brought in something called dragon currents, but basically, Ooh, I've never heard of those. Wait, stop there. What's a dragon current? Uh, I dragon did. current. Explain to us. <laughs> dragon current. Explain. Um, dragon currents were his name for kind of like universal Earth energy streams that ran over the the surface of the earth and for him that was not that what a ley line is well according to john mitchell yes right but according we don't see anything about dragon currents in the old straight path there's there's no talk of that but for john mitchell there very much is like he's really got this idea of like some kind of mystical energy running through these ley lines and 
he's going to push this in his books and that's where it gets picked up by the druids. And so that brings us to the third part, the druids. Now we already kind of, you know, we gave the, the preview of, uh, of our druid talk there. So druids really were, well, druids are and exist, although the, the ones that existed and the ones that used to exist are somewhat different. So the ancient druids were Celtic academics, judges, poets, and priests that lived probably from about the third century before the common era until about the second or third century common era. They were the educated people of their time and day. And at that time, the Celtic world stretched from uh, mainland Europe, but also the British Isles. You could find Druids all over um, the British Isles and presumably, I'm assuming, in Brittany as well, in France. You know what? Yes. I Sorry, this is like a side, but I got in this um, newspaper article war in my high school with a guy who had mentioned something about used to be Druids. And I was like, hey, they're still Druids. And then he like wrote another article like telling how there was no druids and I like had to write back. And it was, it was actually really embarrassing. That that would happen. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like the defender of all druids. Um, I, yeah. I didn't realize that you were, that you had been like a defender of druids before. That's uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, he, but he wouldn't believe me that people were still druids. So, well, right. So there are in the, in the modern druids. sense. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's going to start happening after the Second World War. Yes. Okay. Which, believe it or not, I went to high school after the Second World War. <laughs> no kidding. And, um, okay, actually, I have to I've put a pause in this because that's not entirely true. Um, the revi- the Druid revival movement can... Like, that I went to high school after the Second <laughs> World War? <laughs> you, didn't, you don't know this, Becca, but... Shh, Eric, shh. <laughs> You went to high school after the Second World War. So the Druid revival actually has a bit of a story, too, that predates even Watkins. Around the time of the Enlightenment, so the 18th century here, we see some folks kind of leaning more towards the idea of the scientific method and empiricism as an, as an epistemology But there's another stream moving along, too. And I know that you know about this because art history, but the Romantic movement is kind of a reaction to the whole Enlightenment reliance upon. Yeah. And and there has been, you know, speculation that, like, this new Romanticism that kind of sprung up in the interwar period in Britain, like that that rambling, those walking clubs, that Mm -hmm. that was, yeah, definitely. Right. And so there were people calling themselves Druids and making Druid clubs, even in the 1700s in England. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it really did the whole Druid revival and pagan revival after the Second World War, though, is when it really took off, especially the 1960s and 70s. And some of the people are going to go ahead and they're going to take the ley line idea, but they're going to get the ley line idea through Mitchell. And so they're not reading the old straight path. They're reading books that you know, like Mitchell's book, The View Over Atlantis, or other books that have been well, written now that include ley lines. Well, not just Drew, but like, you know, Gerald Gardner, The Wiccans, that was in the 50s. Right. right. And 
I don't really know that he wrote anything about ley lines, but I don't know I, that he did I not. Looked, so I'm going to say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't either, but I actually looked. I looked to see if ley lines had made its way into Wicca or into any of the other neo-pagan movements. Well, sometimes they called them fairy lines or they called them corpse lines. Okay. So it's it's possible. That's just because they had different ways of speaking about them. Right. Um, But the the corpse lines are a little different though. They were the, um, the paths that the body would travel. Mm -hmm. I did that actually. Right. Yeah. This is, and this is different than the, there are branches of the modern Druid revival that have picked up the idea. Oh, Eric, did we already use our band name up? Cause modern Druid revival sounds like a instrumental project. <laughs> Their Christmas album is pretty good. Excuse oh. me. Yule album is pretty good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's competing with um, trans Siberian orchestras. Uh, for... Exactly. <laughs> there are, are pages on the internet that are Druid related pages that use the word ley lines and even acknowledge where they're getting this from. And actually, I speaking of acknowledging where you're getting things from, um, I need to give my public shout out to two of my favorite sources for this week. Oh, um, no. One is no, it, one is completely unusual. Uh, the Guardian newspaper, uh, which is a British newspaper that leans to the left, leans to the Workers Party. Um, 2015, Billy Mills uh, wrote a pretty good article about ley lines. But really, the person that I found myself uh, returning to in a couple of different sources, John Michael Greer, uh, who published the New Occult Encyclopedia in 2005 that had a pretty good article about ley lines. But then I also found some of John Michael Greer's articles on Druid websites on the Internet. And so apparently, John Michael Greer likes his Druid history, and he's pretty well versed in it. He's you know, freely admits that the the modern Druid revival is not 100%, you know, a continuous line between like ancient Druids and like the modern practice. Um, so he's taking a, a historian's perspective here. Uh, but at the same time, he also is someone who is has appears to have some insider's knowledge of Druid practice. And he talks about ley lines in some of his articles that he's written. And so the idea of ley lines has been, I feel like it started in one place and then it went someplace completely different with Mitchell. And now it's sort of um, the idea is a true meme, right? A true uh, contagious idea that has since gone over into uh, new age thought, Atlantis, alternative history, pagan revival movements to the point where I'll be perfectly honest. I was familiar with the idea of ley lines in a very general kind of way, but I didn't know the name of, you know, of Watkins until I did my research. And I had no idea that there was a single person who created this idea. And the idea was somewhat different than from what I, yeah. But from what I've read that, that kind of wasn't, he wasn't the only person who had kind of been talking about that. Right. But the but the word ley lines is de- most definitely yeah definitely him he coined it and he took it and made it accessible to people. And now if you just type in ley lines into Google, you're not even like Watkins doesn't even hit the first ten. It's you know. No, like, I kind of wanted to see if there were ley lines like around me. Like what were the ley lines around here? Are there ley lines around you? Uh, most everything went to Asheville. Went to like ley lines in Asheville. Of course, there are ley lines in Asheville. Um, yeah, so that's what you know, I that's know. so funny because I didn't even look. 
Well, you know, I was going to be like, well, can I walk some ley lines? What can I do? I'm always the one who's like, let me go to this cemetery with my, <laughs> and record some things. Right. So. Maybe nautical, take me there and I can use my Ouija board. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that's what the first thing I said when you said you didn't like um, what was going on in the second, with your second part of your story. I was like, what was he doing? Was he like using a Ouija board and random nodding at the same time to get to Atlantis? <laughs> your two of your favorite things. Right. No, he he's someone who I, I get the feeling that Mitchell is kind of like a godfather of the whole um, New Age movement, really. That a lot of the things he's writing on are things that someone who is into modern esoteric ideas and lore uh, would be very much interested in. I, I mean, I was. I'm going to go check him out. So, yeah. And maybe someday we'll do a, a we'll do a, a show on John Mitchell. Or just Atlantis, the lost city of Atlantis. I think that definitely needs to happen. Now, at this point, we can also talk about um, a couple other of adjacent ideas that you were mentioning, right? You were talking about um, fey paths and things like that. Mm-hmm. But also the idea of spiritual energy, right, is another thing that I found myself coming to. Because that's really, when I was going to to Watkins book, I was looking for that. I was looking for him to mention some kind of spiritual energy in his writings. And I I did run across the paragraph that you read as well, Mm -hmm. Um, but it didn't come out and say the same kind of way that we talk about like the Feng Shui of a place or earth energy or um, Chi or. uh, No, but he talked about those lines as being the basis for culture, the basis for religion. Um, So I don't know. I think that it doesn't surprise me and I know you don't agree with me, but it doesn't surprise me where people took it because I think that it didn't take much interpretation or didn't take much to bring it there. Gotcha. You think he was already heading in that direction? I think he was. I mean, (sighs) this was, you know, the twenties you had Aleister Crowley was in the papers. So they would have had this beginning of some interesting goings on with the occult and maybe he didn't take it there, but I just, that photo again of those boys in a cage on the sacrificial stone. That's just like, mm. (laughs) you know, there's an actual video, right? I do. And I know that he actually had some video, but of not of that. But, you know, he died in 1935. So if he had lived longer, who the heck knows where he would have taken it? Right. Uh, I, Yeah. Who knows if he would have liked John Mitchell's Dragon Currents or not. Who doesn't? I mean, that's a fascinating name. I like that. That's our first single. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we go, should we? I think we've hinted around, but have we actually defined what a ley line is? No, you do it. And maybe give us some helpful hints on how to find our own. <laughs> That's a great setup, except I have to admit right now, I haven't the slightest. I mean, aside from our commercial that we did in the very beginning of the show. No, I mean, it's really simple. What he would tell people to do is you go to a mound. Okay. And you try to find um, a sacred site. So he would have people try to find old wells, or um, maybe there was a sacred temple, burial ground, whatever. And then you drew draw those points. So, you know, when I first was looking at it, it's, and and maybe some of you are thinking, 
uh, you know, if you have point A and point B, of course, it's a straight line. <laughs> like you can draw a straight line between right. any two points. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how that works? Well, that's actually one of the things. Um, one of the, the real pushbacks from archaeologists who dismissed, uh, you know, Watkins' theory uh, was that his ley lines sometimes went over cliffs and through bogs. Well, and they said he actually, he sprained his ankle stubbornly, like following his ley line up a mountain. And people were like, well, you can't do it that way. And he just said, well, the ancients were more equipped to walk this way than we are. There you have it. So what is the modern understanding of ley lines? You, If you've made it this far, you've probably sussed it out for yourself, but we'll just say it. Basically, it's the idea that there's some kind of mystical energy that travels in a straight line path and that those paths cross the earth. And they crisscross each other in various ways. And it's said that when two or more ley lines cross each other, that there's supposed to be some kind of mystical energy or special spiritual significance to that place. And that's kind of the modern New Age understanding, I guess, or would that be a fair label for it? But the modern esoteric understanding of the ley line. I'd call it a theory. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, I think we're going to sign off. Everyone, have yourself a great time. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Jackalope Carnival!